we said last week we're beginning a whole series on relationships. Ask the expert. We're not having Dr. Phil in. We're not having Oprah come. We're not going to have hints from Heloise or writing to Dear Abby. What we're going to do when we talk about having healthy relationships, we're going to look to the creator, the designer of relationships. And who's that? That's the Lord. That's the God of heavens and earth. He created us and he designed us. Now, I want you to understand this. When you go outside of the guidelines or instructions in this book, you will find that it, you suffer in your relationships. It's kind of weird, but it's funny how when you start diverting from what God's word says, you will find that you will run into difficulties in the important relationships in your life. You just run into difficulties. It's ironic that whenever you are living in some form of disobedience or going your own way, it's funny how things begin to rise up between you and your wife or you and your husband. When you're not obeying the Lord And when you're not doing what God has asked you to do, it's surprising how problems arise between you and your kids. In some ways, we think, oh, they cannot possibly be connected. But when you divert from God's word, you will find that it will affect the relationships. Your spirituality really is not measured. One of the things that we need to understand is my spirituality is not measured up here on Sunday morning when I preach a message. My true spirituality is going to be measured or tested in my day-to-day relationships. That's where it shows where I really love people or not. That's where it shows where I'm really mature in the things of God or not. So this week, I want to talk to you about relationships. Are they worth the effort? Now, let's be honest. There's sometimes things happen in our life that makes us question whether or not it's worth the effort to be in relationship with other people. There's some people who whenever a difficulty comes, you know what they do? They cut you right off. I mean, they cut you off so fast. They can cut people off. Have any of you been unfriended on Facebook? In relationship, there's this risk and reward because to be in relationship, I have to be vulnerable. To be in relationship, I risk or you risk being hurt. We risk being misunderstood. We risk being offended or rejected. If we're in relationship, we risk being taken advantage of. And sometimes it's easier for us to keep up our guards and not let anybody in. Because if I don't let you in, then you can't hurt me. If I don't care about you, then it doesn't matter. You can't touch me. You can't hurt me. And maybe you've been hurt in the past. Now, in Acts chapter 15, it gives us an account of two godly leaders who experienced some painful experiences in their relationship. Acts chapter 15, we're going to look at verse 36. Paul and Barnabas, and the scripture says this, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how things are going. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. John also called Mark with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas 
and left, commended by their brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, Father God, we pray that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. I pray that you would open up our spirits and our minds and our understandings so that we can gain insight and hear from you. Father, I pray that anything that I say that's of me, that it would fall to the ground. But may your word, Lord, find a good place in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, here's the thing. These two men, Paul and Barnabas, were two incredible godly leaders of the New Testament church. God had used them to bring unity to the church, and yet they struggled to settle their own disagreements. If we think these heroes of the faith at times struggle in relationships, do you think it might be kind of commonplace if people like you and me at times, on occasion, have struggles in our relationships? We shouldn't be surprised that they struggled, nor should we be surprised whenever we at times run into difficulties. Two reasons. One is because we're human. And we're truthfully not always spirit-controlled. Sometimes we're controlled by our flesh or we're controlled by what we want. The other reason for that is that the enemy wants nothing more than to cause division amongst your family. The enemy loves it whenever your family is in an uproar. The enemy loves it whenever friends no longer talk. The enemy loves it in the church whenever he can get two people aggravated each other over nothing so that they no longer work together. And he will use whatever means he possibly can to divide us. Because the enemy knows this. If we stick together, we can face anything. If we stay together, if we stay a team, if we don't lose our focus, if we focus upon the things that God has called us to, there's really nothing that we cannot accomplish by God's grace. But if he can cause us to turn on one another, to be aggravated with each other, to quit talking, to quit fellowshipping, if in a home he can cause a husband and wife to be divided or brothers and sisters, then he's able to hinder what God wants to accomplish. Now we know this. Paul does not want to take John Mark with them. That's what their division came up over. Do you know the first time that the Bible mentions Barnabas? Does anyone know where it's at? In Acts chapter, I believe it's Acts chapter 4, there's this guy, it kind of, I believe it ends the chapter like this. There's this guy named Barnabas, and he had property. And he sold his property, and he gave it to help the people in need in the church in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 5, we know that Ananias and Sapphira saw everyone saying, wow, look what Barnabas did. And so then they want to sell their property, but they hold back a portion of it and God strikes them dead. But in in Acts chapter 4, Barnabas is referred to as the son of encouragement. Now, there was a difference between Paul and Barnabas. There was a difference in their makeup. Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat, okay? Paul was pretty straightforward, you know, if God doesn't work. Barnabas was the type of guy who he saw people's needs and he saw where people were at and he believed in them. Barnabas was one of these guys who you just, he'd see and he'd just always offer a word of encouragement, always looking for the good in people. In fact, it was Barnabas who 
took the apostle Paul and brought him to the church at Jerusalem. You see, three years after Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, he's at Jerusalem and all the leaders in Jerusalem are like, we're not falling for this. All of the leaders in Jerusalem said, this is the Saul who held the coats of the guys while they were stoning Stephen. We can't trust him. This is the Saul who went from town to town with letters, persecuting the church, having people imprisoned, having their property taken from them, having them killed. We can't trust this guy. And here's this crazy guy, Barnabas. And Barnabas, he takes Paul, the scripture says, he takes a hold of him and brings him to the church at Jerusalem. And he says, I'll vouch for this Saul. There's something about Saul. Now, I know he killed the church, and I know he persecuted, and I know that in the past he held the coats of the guys who stoned Stephen, but God's hands upon him. There's good in this guy. There's something really good about him. Later on, and I believe it's Acts chapter 11, it was also Barnabas who traveled to Tarsus. That was seven years later, seven years down the road. He goes to Tarsus, and he gets a hold of Saul, and he says, Saul, I want you to come, and I want you to help me teach the church At Antioch, whenever Barnabas saw John Mark, Barnabas is like, man, there's something special about this guy. This guy is going to do something for the kingdom of God. I know he messed up a little bit, but man, God still has his hand on him. God's going to use him. And whenever Saul saw John Mark, he saw him as a quitter. Just as as sure as Barnabas was that John Mark is an incredible guy. Paul was just as adamant, no, he's not. He's a quitter. We took him on our last missionary journey. We're in the midst of the ministry. And what does John Mark do? He abandons us. He leaves us. He's a quitter. The ministry is far too important for us to haul along and drag along and carry big babies like John Mark. We are not doing it. And this tension built up between these two godly men And it came to the point where they just couldn't go on any further. I mean, it just kind of erupted. And so they split ways and they went different ways. Now, perhaps Paul may have said, after the way he quit last time, what can he do for God's work? And while Barnabas may have said to Paul, but Paul, we need to take him. Because what can God's work do for him? What can God do in his life as we take him along? Perhaps he said, Paul, do you remember who gave you the chance? Paul, do you remember all the people at the church of Jerusalem who didn't want to trust you, who didn't believe in you? Do you remember? Do you remember who stepped up for you? But Paul didn't want anything to do with it. You know, a lot of times in life, we're faced with these situations where we try to figure out who's right and who's wrong. You ever notice that? To be honest with you, as a leader sometimes, that gets so complicated. Because both people are right and both people are wrong. But people want you to take their side. Have you ever noticed that? People want you to choose. You have to choose sides. Either I'm right or they're right. You've got to choose sides. It's a very difficult thing. Sometimes what's right and what's wrong is not always so clear cut. Do you understand that? To prove that, someone should do it. We're going to watch a video. And here's what we want to do. You ever notice sometimes there's headbutts between 
brothers and sisters or husbands and wives or men and women, I would like to ask, would you two help me? Come on up here. Now, this is what we're going to do. The men, Al is representing all of the men in the church. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to watch a video, and they're both going to get a chance to count. And they're going to watch this video, and there's two teams that are passing a ball. Now, we're going to keep our eye upon the white team. And we're going to see which of these two can correctly count the number of times that the ball is passed. Okay? So what are we looking for? We're looking for to see how many times the white team passes the ball. Then with that, we're also seeing whether Al, as a representative for all the male species, is right. Or Sherry, as a representative for the female species, is right. Okay, here we go. Let's dim the lights. Here's our purpose. Our purpose is to count. And there's no rumbling for this or fighting. So let's just watch. We're going to give you and Sherry both the opportunity. How many times do you think it was passed? How many times, Al? (laughs) Al's representing the male species. So Sherry says 15. Al says 14. How many of you say 14? Okay. How many say 15? How many of you didn't even pay attention? Okay. Okay, now I want you to watch this. How many passes did you count? Correct answer is 15. Look at this one. Did you see the gorilla? Stop it there. How many of you saw the gorilla? How many of you did not see any gorilla? Okay, now let's watch this again. How many of you, honestly, you did not see the gorilla the first time? Isn't it something that we're watching that and a gorilla comes through and is dancing in the front, in the middle of the scene, and you don't see it? How is that humanly possible? I don't know. Well, here's the thing. When you're worried about making sure you got the correct count, you miss something that was much bigger and something very right in the center of the the screen. Something that was really important. You missed a gorilla walking across the screen. How on earth could I miss a gorilla? Because I was focused upon the wrong things. Do you hear that? I missed a gorilla. The first time I saw it, I did not see a gorilla. And I watched another one, and it was like a moonwalking gorilla. But it was a moonwalking gorilla, and I did not see it at all. And then it goes back over it, and I was like, oh, wow. How did I not see that? I was focused on the wrong things. Now, do you realize... Sometimes very important relationships feel like they're not worth it because we have a wrong perception. Because we are focusing on the wrong things. Do you have to be right? See, because I like being right. I'm just being honest. Like whenever you play those games, I want to make sure that I count them. And the first time I saw it, it was another one, but it was 13 passes. Whenever the video showed the number 13, I was like, yes. (laughs) Don't you feel that way? Like, you're just like, man, I'm just like really intelligent. I can count, you know. Uh, You're feeling all good about yourself, feeling really affirmed because you got the answer right. There's something about inside of us that we want to be right. And let me just say this in your relationships. 
do you want to be right in your relationships too? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I want to be right. I don't like to have the feeling that I'm wrong. Do you at times refuse to consider another person's perspective? If someone would have said, what about the gorilla? You'd have been like, what gorilla? I didn't see no gorilla. There was a bunch of people passing a basketball. There was no gorilla there. At times we refuse to look at other person's perspective. Can we be blind to the truth because we are focusing upon wrong things? Let me say that again. Can we be blind to the truth that's right in front of us? I mean, things that are just like blatant in our eyes. Can we be blind to the truth because we're focusing upon the wrong thing? I think we just saw that we can. And if we can do it with gorillas walking across the screen, we can do that in other relationships of our lives. My wise sister told me about a leadership training that she attended where the presenter talked about a low, low principle. I'd never heard of it before, but it says this. It says that you lock on and you lock out behaviors and actions of others that confirm what you believe. In my notes, I have this. This is a really important for someone's relationship today. So please listen again. I have that highlighted and underlined. Let me say it one more time. You lock onto behaviors and actions that confirm what you already believe. But you lock out behaviors and actions that disagree or are, are contrary to what you believe. Let me illustrate. There's a person at work or at church that you think is a jerk. You have 20 interactions with them in which they're kind, in which they're helpful, in which they go out of their way to be accommodating. But you do not pay much attention to that. In fact, we discount those things. But the moment that they do something that proves what we already believe, we jump on it. See? You know, a person made 20 times a day may interact with you and be kind and helpful and courteous and discount that. But the one time that they do something that proves what you already believe, you're like, see, I told you they're a jerk. I told you they'd never change. I can't believe how rude she is or how arrogant she is. We think that they're a jerk, so we search for things that agree with what we are looking for. We look for things that confirm what we already believe. They're a jerk. See, I told you. Now, let me just tell you this. If you're looking for someone to be a jerk, chances are you hang around them long enough, you will find proof of it. All right? It's just our human nature. If you're looking for something that you can be offended by or mad about or some reason to say someone's a jerk, just hang around long enough and you will find something that they do that proves that you are right. See, I told you they were a jerk. It's very hard to have a relationship with someone who's already made up their mind about you. If someone has already had that preconceived notion in their mind that you're a jerk, it's very hard for you to ever have a relationship after that because they're just constantly looking for and affirming, see, you're a jerk. See, you're selfish. See, you're rude. 
See, you don't appreciate anything I do. And day in and day out, you will find those things. Now, I'm going to just cut a little bit ahead of myself. Maybe the things that we see in other people that we find all the time says something more about what I'm looking for than what they really are. If all around you, everybody around you is a jerk, it may not be so much about them. If everybody around you is a jerk, if everybody around you is a moron, if everyone's all these things, it may not be the whole world. It might say something about what I'm looking for. By the same token, if you're always finding something to rejoice about, if you're always finding something to be happy about, if you're always finding something to be thankful for, that may say something about you and I too. Okay, so going back to this thing, If there's a person, by the same token, if there's a person that you think well of, you will lock on to behaviors and actions that confirm what you believe. Okay? That's why whenever you see young couples dating, mom and dad say, he's a bum. He is a bum. Stay away from him. He said, no, he's not coming around our house. No way. He's a loser. Oh, but he's so cute. It's like, no, he's not that cute. He's a bum. It's ironic how blind, they say love is blind. But isn't it something, have you ever seen that? You'll see someone who, they're in a dating relationship and the guy is just a jerk or the woman is really, there's really questionable things there and that person absolutely can't see them. They make excuses for them. You ever notice that grandparents and parents sometimes will do that with their kids. It's ironic that we block out Those things that disagree with what we already believe. We don't see those negative things. You know, one of the nice things about being somewhere for a while, hopefully we've done a few things right so that whenever you make a mistake, if you've built the right relationship with people, when you make a mistake, it's not so glaring in people's eyes. It's kind of like they kind of overlook it. They cut you a break, okay? Now, we've said all that when the person you think well of does something stupid, you minimize it because it disagrees with the beliefs that you already have. So now let's go back to our relationships. What are you and I supposed to think upon? What does the word teach us that we're to put our focus upon? If you want to look for all of the things that make a person be a jerk, You don't have to look a long time. You'll find those things. But the word says in Philippians chapter 4, finally, verse 8, Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Five verses later, Paul writes, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about these things. Five verses later, he says this thing that we always love to quote. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Do you know what the beginning of the chapter is about? It's about relationships. Paul writes in five verses after what he tells us to think upon. He says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Six verses before, in verse 2, he says, I plead 
with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Comment and the rest of my fellow's workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Now, when we disagree with people, there's a lot of times we don't believe that their name's written in the book of life. There's times that whenever you're looking for the bad in people, you're like, man, they ain't saved. How can they be a Christian and act like that? I can't believe they're a Christian. They're not a Christian. It's surprising how adamant we can be that, man, this person's not even saved. I don't think they know God at all. Perhaps the things that frustrate us and cause us to question if relationships are worth the effort, as I said before, may not have as much to do with the other person, but with how we have come to think. Maybe it's because of the way what we've chosen to focus our attention on. I told you, I worked night shift when I was in college. I love night shift. I was like, this is incredible. I get to go out with Lori, and then all my time is free. I go to work at night, like 11.30, 12 o'clock at night, on the weekend. They pay me to study. I didn't have to study any other time. I studied on the job while they were paying me. I loved it until I started working with people who hated night shift. And then it was like, man, yeah, night shift really stinks. This is terrible. Now, just a few months before, I was loving it because I'm thinking, wow, they pay me to do my homework while I'm in college. I don't have to do it any other time. I can get it all done while I'm working until I started working with people who didn't like it. Then I began to focus upon the negative parts of it. Now, we know that the relationship between Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark was restored because years later, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, he said, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with me because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Before, he didn't want anything to do with John Mark. He says, man, he's just dead weight. No, Silas, we're not taking him. He's a quitter. He's a loser. We're not having people like that with us. What Our work is too important. And then years later, Paul has to write to Timothy, and he says, get John Mark. Man, that guy's really valuable. I need him. I really value the relationship that we have. Let me just ask you this. If godly people like the Apostle Paul and Barnabas can have difficulties in their relationships. Do you think it would be strange if people like you and I, at times, struggle with relationships? Especially the really important relationships of our life. See, there's some relationships, if you don't get along real well with like a 20-second distant cousin, I really don't matter too much. I mean, you don't want to be a jerk to them. But there's really important relationships that God puts in our lives. And the enemy wants nothing more than to come into those relationships and bring division. He likes to bring division between you and your kids. He loves that. He loves to bring division in the family, in the home, where brothers and sisters don't get along. He loves to bring division in the marriage covenant because that is the greatest example to the world of God's love and God's relationship with the church. He likes to bring division. If you're going to work together in some form, and if you're going to cooperate together in the work of the ministry, the enemy wants to come in and bring division there. 
he likes to bring division in the church because if he can separate you from those people who God created and designed for you to have fellowship with, then he's able to take you off of your game and he's able to hold back what God has for your life. So if guys like the Apostle Paul and Barnabas had struggles in their relationships, then it wouldn't be strange for people like you and I to have struggles at times in our relationships. But before we leave today, I want you to consider this question. What one specific relationship is God talking to you about today? One. Only one. What one specific relationship is God putting his finger on today? Just one. He'll make it very clear to you. The Holy Spirit doesn't beat around the bush like I do, or he doesn't stutter like I do. He speaks very clearly and concisely to you. So by now, the Holy Spirit's already put his finger on a very important relationship in your life. Question number two. How is your thinking affecting that relationship? The way that you think. The preconceived notions that you've already established in your mind. How is that affecting your relationship? Are you following what the word says? Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's no wonder some people have so many jerks in their lives because that's what they're looking for. They're looking for jerks. They're looking for people who hurt them. They're looking for people who offend them. May I say that sometimes it has more to do, listen, please listen, it has more to do with what we are thinking in our mind than the reality of our relationships. We were counting how many times the ball was passed. And we were focused on that. And for many of us, this gorilla comes walking through and we didn't even see it. We couldn't even see it. And for a lot of us, we're focused upon some preconceived notions. Well, they're a jerk. Well, they don't care. Well, they've hurt me. And then you're just going to find, because that's what you're focused upon, you're going to discount all of the good that that person does. And to be honest with you, it's hard to help someone like that. It's really hard to help someone like that. They've already made up their mind. Already made up their mind. It's really difficult to help someone like that. It's really difficult to help them to see the truth because that's what they want to see. We want to see how so many people are wrong and how many people are terrible to us. I will tell you this. I can transform through God's help. We can transform relationships today. Right here, right now. If we can do one thing. No, he's got to change. She's got to change. Grandmom's got to change. Pop-Pop's got to change. Pop-Pop's not going to change. He's 80 years old. He's the way he is. Okay, Pop-Pop's not changing. Pop-Pop will not change. Don't think that you can change your Pop-Pop. He's not going to change. What can change is the way that you think. And we can transform. Listen, we can transform your relationships with one thing. 
Obeying with the word and doing what it says. What is true? What's lovely? What's noble? What's praiseworthy? Think upon these things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wait, I can choose to think upon the things that are different than what I believe? Absolutely. I can do it through Christ who strengthens me. If you will obey this simple truth that we're sharing with you today, if you will allow the Lord to change the way that you think, it'll change the destiny of your relationships. It'll be incredible. You'll start seeing, wow, I've been focusing on this one out of 20 negative things that this person does, and there's 19 really positive things that they do. There's 19 times when they're helpful. John Maxwell talks about putting a 10 when you, with employees as far as leadership. Put a 10 on everybody's head. He says when you put a 10 on their head, you treat them differently. When you put a 10 on their head, when you see them as if they're a 10, you treat them differently. You talk to them differently. You expect different things from them. And what's amazing is that oftentimes when you expect people to be good and to do the right thing and you expect a lot out of them, you know what? So many times they end up meeting your expectations and sometimes exceeding them. But when you put a two on everybody's head and you wonder why your relationships aren't good, you wonder why you can't get anyone to work well for you, it's because you're putting a two on their head. And it doesn't have so much to do with you having lousy employees as it is your leadership style and what you're expecting from them. So as we close, one person that God spoke to you about, you know who they are. And you're thinking. Now you're confronted with what you're going to do about those thoughts that you have towards that person. Are you going to allow God to renew your mind and heal your relationship? Or are you going to be right? You can't usually be both. I suggest to you today that God wants us to allow him to renew our minds. And you know what? We will have testimonies of employees that work for you that are excelling. We're going to have relationships that are restored. We're going to have friendships that are brought back together. Why? Because you quit looking for all the negatives and you start focusing upon what God's word says, the things that are good and lovely of virtue. Father God, I thank you for our time together. And I just pray in our relationships, I ask God that we would value relationships enough to allow you to change us and to change our thinking and change our attitudes. I pray God that your word would come alive in our hearts. And I pray if there's just that one person, Lord, who you've brought to our hearts, may you give us direction and guidance this week about how we are to work to improve those relationships, and what we are to do to allow you to change our thinking concerning them. We'll praise you and thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.